I've used that joke before. I wish I was petite. <laughs> I'm just saying. I will say this, though. I've not worn these pants in two years. They didn't fit. So, yeah, I am, I am working on petiting a little bit better. Amen. Yeah, so one donut instead of two this morning. I'm doing what I can. I told... Uh, I told my family as we were driving out here this morning, I said, Lantana has the best donuts every Sunday morning. They're like the bomb. So anyway, I'm also glad you guys pulled some funds together and got a better podium. Because how many remember like two years ago when I went to get the thing myself from somewhere back here and I picked it up and then right about here, the bottom fell off. Do you guys remember that? How can you forget that? And it hit the stage and it like reverberated through this whole auditorium. You guys don't recall that? Does anybody remember? One person, Jamie remembers. Okay. All right. Two, three people. The rest of you, you must be new. Welcome to Lantana. This is your new home. <sighs> Sorry, we'll get there. I'm excited to be here this morning. Uh, Pastor Cal text Amanda and I about two weeks ago and said, hey, I'm potentially maybe out of town on the 16th. Would one of you uh, like to fill in for me? Come bring the word. And before Amanda could respond, I hit it. I was like, yep, I'll do it. No problem. Because I think, I think it's been Pastor Amanda probably the last two or three times. Yeah, some of you are nodding, right? So it's time for a change, don't you think? Amen. Amen. I hope she's watching right now and can hear this. She's actually, um, she did send her greeting to you guys. She's wanted, she said, let Lantana know that I love them and I'm thinking about them. Um, I'll be honest with you. She's at home putting away our kitchen right now. Um, I, I was telling somebody this morning, they said, where's Amanda? And I said, we've literally been living in Airbnbs and in a house we bought. We've, we've been in an Airbnb for, well, since July 24th. So that's a, that's a minute. And um, we, had, we sold our house, and we were planning to go to this other house, and that didn't work. So we've, we bought a house about uh, five weeks ago, and typical petite style, we just gutted it and, like, you know, renovated it while we're living there. So that's been fun. And our kitchen, we've been paper plates and eating out a lot. And um, yesterday, we finally finished our kitchen. So the kitchen is totally in, the counters, the everything. And literally, my wife's whole thing for like three months is I just want my kitchen back. So I told her, we have church on Saturday nights, if you don't know it, RHI in Arlington. So we had church last night. Um, but today, Amanda is, she's like, I just want a quiet morning. And I can put away my kitchen. So that's where she's at this morning. Um, last night at RHI, we had uh, Molly and Camden. You guys know Molly and Camden from SNU, from SNU. Uh, they co-taught last night and did a phenomenal job. So if you guys need a, a fill-in, Pastor Cal, if you're watching, Molly and Camden, they did great last night at my church. So I'm just happy to be here, guys. Welcome, and um, thanks for having me. And uh, uh, it feels dark up here. <laughs> it's dark out there. Um, I'm excited to be here today. I've got a word that um, I started teaching last week at my, at my church at RHI in Arlington um, out of the book of Jonah. And as I've gone deeper into this passage of Jonah, uh, most of you are probably familiar with the story of Jonah. And we think of this guy that ran from the Lord and tossed overboard and swallowed by a whale or a big fish, as my translation says, but probably a whale. Uh, and then 
you know, three days in the belly of the well, and he gets spit up on land. You guys know the story. And he goes and proclaims the gospel. Well, if you read the book of Jonah, which is a first-person book, Jonah wrote it himself. It starts out third-person. He's talking about himself. God told Jonah to do this. Jonah said, no, I'm not going. God said, you're getting eaten by a whale. Like, it's third-person. But then, in the heart of the fish, when he's in the whale for those three days, it becomes first person. And I, we don't have time today, but I encourage you to read that. Just read the book of Jonah. It'll take you about 15 minutes at best. It's a short four chapters, and the verses are like 10, cha- 10 verses a chapter. But in the heart of the whale, Jonah spills this honest, I was seaweed wrapped around my head. I'd sunk to the depths of the sea. I was doomed and entombed. And I cried out to God, and he had mercy on me, and he rescued me. That's Jonah's, um, that's his sentiment as he teaches out of, I think that's Jonah 2, chapter 2. You should read that. Okay, and it's a beautiful story. Well, we want to learn a little bit more about that today, but we're actually going to read out of Matthew in a moment. Um, Jonah was, uh, didn't want to go to Nineveh, right? You're thinking, how could a prophet say no? I'm not going. Has anyone here ever said, no, I'm not going to God? Like he said, hey, I want you to do this. I want you to go there. I want you to pray this for him or her. I went, yeah, some hands going up. And you're like, I know I should be doing this, but I just don't want to do that. Right? We've done that. It's called disobedience, right? But there's times where we're like, I just can't. Uh, last night when Molly and Camden, um, both locally licensed, getting district license in April, if you're coming to assembly, that'll be cool. Um, last night when they were teaching, they were talking about um, uh, obedience and disobedience and, and, and about Moses and how Moses was like, I can't talk, I stutter, I don't like people, I'm scared around people, I have anxiety, like I'm not going, like choose someone else, I'm 80 years old, right? But God used him anyway. Well, in the book of Jonah, he, uh, he's like, I, I'm not going. And so if you study why he would say no, God was essentially saying, Jonah, I want you to go to the most terrifying people on the planet that hate you more than anyone else, and I want you to proclaim the gospel message that God wants to be love for them. Like God wants to be their father. God wants to come and, and dwell with them and give them a new reality. And Jonah's like, they don't deserve it. What if they say yes? Like, that is really the heart of Jonah. He's like, what if they respond and actually repent of their sins, which they do, right? And so that was Jonah's whole thing. Has there been anyone in your life where you don't think they're worthy of the salvation that you have? Just think of that for a moment. I mean, that sounds harsh, but think of a person or a people group or a country, or maybe, let, maybe, let's, maybe let's make it easier. Think of a dictatorship or a communist party. Think, think of somewhere, someone, something that you're like, they don't deserve what I carry, right? Think of that. And, it, and you're like, well, maybe for some of you, you can't think of that. Um, for, the, for those of you that don't know, uh, Amanda and I have an organization in Arlington called Rescue Hill. It's a Nazarene Compassionate Ministry Center, and the focus of, of Rescue Hill is we're an anti-human trafficking organization. So we work with women regularly uh, and law enforcement to literally 
pull women out of the, the grips of trafficking and give them hope and give them a new life and journey with them. And um, Amanda, more so than me, gets to go to the court cases and, and gets to be hands-on. She, she speaks daily with Homeland Security Investigations. She's like on the task force with them. Like she's the number one spot. Like it's an amazing deal that my wife gets to do and I'm so jealous. Um, but she, uh, she gets to go to court and see traffickers who have enslaved young, innocent girls, sometimes 20 years, and they're pleading their case, and they're going before, before a federal courthouse and judge to hear their sentencing. And me, I'm like, put them away forever, like lose the key. They should never see the light of day again, right? Because of their choices and their consequences. But one thing that challenges me is, but do I want to see them get saved? Like, do I want to see them burn in hell? My flesh, yes. Like, parts of me, yes. You're going to burn for the horrific things that you've done, for the torment you've caused, for, for the impact, a, lifelong, a lifetime of impact you've made on some of these victims of yours. But God's heart is that even though they're pain and they're going to be punished severely for their, for their consequences of their choices. God's heart is that even they would come to know him, right? And God's had to challenge me with that because that's hard for me, to be honest. That's tough for me to wrap my mind around. Um, so I, that was Jonah's heart. He's like, God, what if they, I mean, I can see him thinking in Jonah. He's like, what if they actually believe? I'm not going. I'm getting on this boat and I'm heading for Tarshish. And he does. But we're going to pick up real quick in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. This is after the well. <laughs> this is after he gets spit out of the well, okay? The whole journey of the boat and the sea and the seaweed and all that. We've just come out of that. And in Jonah chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God, <laughs> a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. If you're not familiar with what sackcloth is, um, it's a way of, uh, it's a part of fasting, basically taking off your nice clothes and putting on this uncomfortable thing that's going to sit over you and you're going to throw dust on yourself and you're just going to lay in the dirt and plead with God for mercy. That's essentially what putting on sackcloth means. Um, but it gets better. Uh, verse 6, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let the people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. I love that it says on God and not on Jonah's God or on a God or on one of our many gods. No, these people believed in lots of lowercase g gods, but here the king is saying there's one God and let's call urgently on him. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not 
perish. And that, in fact, does happen. God sees that the entire nation, from the top down to the smallest, have literally thrown themselves in the dust and with hearts of repentance said, yes, God, we were the most horrific people. We were these evil people. But we believe this message that you've sent through this guy, Jonah, and we repent. And we want a second chance. Would you have mercy on us? And God has mercy, right? It's this beautiful story. Um, and we won't read any more of Jonah, even though he goes into this whole self-pity, loathing um, moment. But the people of Nineveh turn from their sins and find total redemption and re through their repentance to God. Okay? So it's this beautiful story. But what we want to focus on this morning actually is Jesus' words about Jonah. Okay, so we're going to jump over to Matthew chapter 12. And uh, just to set this scene for you before we read. In Matthew, um, Jesus is there and he's with his disciples and he's teaching. And he's already performed all these miracles. It's been this beautiful, um, you know, you, if you read through the Gospels, you see all the things that, that Jesus did. In fact, in, in the book of Mark is where you see the most miracles is the book of Mark. It's my favorite of the four Gospels. And in Matthew, we've read all about these things where Jesus has come in and he's proclaimed and, and, and he's given himself this, I am the way, the truth, and the light. Um, he, he talks about being the broken bread. He talks about um, that he's going to be the path to heaven, that he's the son of God. He talks about he's the son of man, meaning he's fully man, but he's also sent as fully God, right? And he, he proclaims all this, this message, and he does all these signs and wonders that back up his message. Well, here in, in um, Matthew 12, verse 38, we read this. It says, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Now, mind you, they've seen countless signs. In fact, the book of John, the last verse in the book of John talks about Jesus did so many more things than, are, than that are written in the Gospels that even there wouldn't be enough room in all the world to hold the books that would encompass all of those. I mean, that's, that's a big statement, right? So we know Jesus did way more than what we've read about in here. But here these Pharisees are saying, we want to see yet another sign. Show us something else. Give us another thing that we may believe what you're trying to say. But in 39, Jesus says, it says, he answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Okay, let me, let me explain that if you're, if you're not tracking. He's saying just like Jonah, three days in a fish, right? I mean, some people say, well, was Jonah even a real book? Like, did that even really happen? Like, how can you believe that that, a fish, really three days? Listen, Jesus talks about Jonah right here in the city of Nineveh. And I love it. And he says, just like Jonah, just like Jonah spent three days and three, or th and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Meaning, the Son of Man, Jesus, will be crucified, dead, entombed, and rise again after three days. That's powerful. That's beautiful. And I love how he pulls Jonah into it. It goes on to say, the, um, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment. 
You following? Nineveh was saved, right? They repented, they were set free, and they were saved. They experienced salvation. And at judgment day, they will be standing there to condemn this adulterous generation, these Pharisees. It says, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. And then he goes on and he talks about the queen of the south uh, will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. Okay, we're going to pause there for a minute. Jesus was... um, I imagine almost floored that he came and and brought all of this miracle, all this life and love, like the video we saw just right before the service. I love those videos. Um, Those are powerful tools. And you you watch the video and you're like, yeah, look look at them. Look at these thugs running the streets, tearing things down hoodlums, you know, whatever you're, you're thinking, gangsters, whatever word you want to put on that, the, the imagery is these, these people are bringing destruction to our land. They're going to disrupt everything. They're, they're terrorizing. They're going to destroy um, what we see as right. They're going to wrong, you know, and, and it's this whole, and, you, and you're watching that, and you're like, yeah, man, I mean, we need to clean this place up, all right? Like, we, we don't want, we don't want to see our day-to-day, our normalcy get changed or tweaked or altered. And then it talks about Jesus was misjudged too, and you're like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. See, if you're, if you're blind and unwilling, Scripture calls it hardened hearts. If your heart is so hardened that you refuse to open it, be willing to let something in, something good, something loving, um, then you'll have that same response, right? You'll have that same um, misjudging. But here Jesus is talking about, he's proclaiming what's going to happen. Um, three days being buried and then rise from the dead. I, um, I understand that last weekend you guys had some sort of like a revival type of weekend, uh, empowering. Uh, I don't know the name of it. I wasn't here, but... I did watch part of it online last Sunday. I, I was driving somewhere, and um, Jeremiah is a friend of mine. Uh, I love Jeremiah and Rob. I love Rob. And how many were here for last weekend and heard Jeremiah and Rob? Just quite a few of you. Okay, most of you. That's great. Fantastic. Um, they come, and, and sometimes they just bring this fire hose, right? And it's just, and, it, and it's a lot. Um, but man, it's good. So they're teaching and talking about love and talking about the Holy Spirit, something that we've got to have. I watched part of Rob's message last Sunday while I was driving somewhere and, um, and was excited to hear that. And um, I knew that I was coming here with this word before I knew they were coming last week. Does that make sense? Like, like Cal asked me two weeks ago and I said, yeah, I'm coming. I already have a word that I know, uh, I believe I'm supposed to release before I knew what Rob and, and uh, Jeremiah were bringing. And I don't know what Jeremiah taught. I didn't watch. But um, this word that God has, has put on my heart here Jesus takes that story of Jonah and he, he talks about just like Jonah came and proclaimed and they repented and they saw and they were saved. 
Just like that, the Son of Man is going to go in the heart of the earth, right? Just like that, the Son of Man is going to suffer for three days and be dead and rise again. And he goes on to talk about how um, the Ninevites are going to be present at Judgment Day, right? So it's this beautiful story. It's not just a fictional thing. This is a reality that Nineveh, this wicked, idolatrous nation, the most feared and hated of all time at that time, of that day, repented found salvation, and are going to stand at judgment day, which is not here yet. It's coming. It's prophetic. It's on the way. And they're going to judge this adulterous generation. But following up that message, let's see what Jesus says. This is powerful. He says in verse 43, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes, it, takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go and live in there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. This is how it will be with this wicked generation. What I find unbelievable is that Jonah came, shared the message of salvation, the message of hope, before Jesus was even on the scene. And they repent, and they find hope. But then they go back. Did you know that that Nineveh was ultimately destroyed? God saved it, but it didn't last for long. So that generation rose up, probably taught their kids, had church every week, right, in their day, died, and other generations came up and did not walk in the same steps. In fact, if you read the book of Nahum, a prophet that's just three books past Jonah, three or four, Nahum talks about the sins of Nineveh. Listen to this. And this is after salvation. This is after the repentance. This is post, okay? Listen, check this out. Nahum comes 150 years after Jonah, and Nahum says, Nineveh is called a city of blood, a city of cruelty, and the Assyrians are judged for their arrogance, their idolatry, murder, lies, treachery, and I love this last one, and social injustice. Think of social injustice. That's important to the Lord. Did you know that? Did you know that justice is is important? In fact, it's so important that injustice is listed as one of these horrific sins that describe the city of Nineveh. Idolatry, murder, lies, treachery, and social injustice. Think think of that. Um, I think with... uh, Rescue Hill, the work that we're doing in Arlington and, and beyond. It's not just Arlington. It's all over. But uh, the work that we get to do there, to me, is like fighting the injustice, right? It's like bringing justice for these women and bringing justice to those that have been enslaved and those, I mean, helping to rescue. Now, Amanda always says, my wife, you've heard her probably say her before, that only Jesus does the rescuing. And that is true. Jesus rescues. But our name is Rescue Hill um, that comes from another story from the 1900s 
but Jesus does do the rescuing, but it's fun to be a part of the rescue ship, isn't it? Like, isn't it cool to be like on board the boat that's like sailing the waters, you know, like a hundred yards off of some of the most horrific things of hell. And you're like pulling people out of the water. Like, that's how I envision this. I think his name is uh, C.S. Scroll. I believe that's his name. I'm probably, probably saying that wrong. I think C.S. Scroll. Um, is an author from the 1900s or 1800s, and he said, uh, it, it's, a, it's a little quote, and I'm misquoting it, but stay with me. He says, uh, some would choose to live within sight and sound of church, church steeple. Some choose to live within the sound of church bell, um, but I want to run a rescue shop a hundred yards from the gates of hell. It's like, wow. See, 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 for some of us, going to church on Sunday is enough, right? Like, we do the right things. Quoting Jeremiah Bullock, uh, I don't uh, smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls that do. I think he says that all the time. You've probably heard that. I've heard it a dozen times, uh, right? And so we think we're good. But here Jesus is talking about something so much more, right? In Matthew 12, Jesus is talking about this generation that's going to literally stand before judgment day and Nineveh is going to help judge them because they refuse to allow the presence of the Lord, the Holy Spirit to come in and invade their hearts. Like that's their holdup. They refuse to believe in a Jesus. They refuse to allow the Spirit of God through the Holy Spirit to come and be a part of their lives. Like that's what they're refusing. And here, you know, like we read about in Nineveh, they repent and they're set free and they're saved and it's exciting. But then another generation comes up, maybe two generations later. And 150 years later, that, that nation is ultimately destroyed by Babylon. But, but if they would have stayed the course, if they would have allowed the Holy Spirit to continue to reign in their nation and in their hearts, that wouldn't have happened. History would have been totally rewritten, right? Think of that. And the challenge for us this morning is Jesus is talking about it's not enough to just believe in something. Like Paul, Paul teaches in Romans 11 uh, that we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with our mouth that God raised him from the dead. If you do that, you will be saved. Like that's what Romans 11 teaches. It's powerful. It's the gospel message in one verse. It's really cool, right? It's like up there with John 3.16, right? If God loves, so loved the world. So it's, it's a powerful message. But Jesus is saying here, there's got to be more than just cleaning up house. There has to be more than just the day-to-day -day normalcy of going to church. There, there has to be more. There, there has to be more things like including fighting injustice in your day-to-day -day ministry. There, there has to be more of a willingness to let others know that you're saved, not be embarrassed by your faith or what are they going to think if I pray at the dinner table? There, there has to be more of, God, I will go where you send me, even if it's 100 yards off the gates of hell. Like, it's hot there, guys. Amanda and I, as you guys probably remember, um, we served as missionaries in three different countries. We were in El Salvador, Haiti, and Dominica for a number of years with our kids. And those were some of the most beautiful times of our ministry, let me tell you. Um, I'll tell you that Haiti, if you're not familiar with Haiti, it's my favorite country of the three. 
It's where I would choose to live today if I could and if it was safe and if that's where God told me to be. Um, Haiti is this beautiful people. It's also a country, their national religion is demonic worship, voodoo. Okay, there is some of the most unhinged spiritual warfare in Haiti that you don't see in other places. Um, Full-on demon worship, like it's, that's their religion. But the church, the church of the Nazarene is exploding in Haiti. You know how big Haiti is? It's this little tiny country, right? You can drive across it. Uh, some of you have been here before. The Nuttings have been there with us, actually, and others in here probably. And um, in Haiti, there are almost 800 Nazarene churches right now. 800. Think of that. I mean, we don't have 800 churches on all of this Texas Nazarene churches. Um, our, te- our West Texas only has, I think, 104 of this whole district, and there's two other districts that are much smaller, Dallas and South Texas. Haiti, a country that's like maybe probably like a sixth or a fifth of the size of Texas. I don't know. Maybe I'm messing that up. But it's much smaller than Texas, and they have almost 800 Nazarene churches. The church is exploding there, even in the heart of such spiritual uh, wickedness that's happening there. But I'll tell you, we never feared. Um, Molly's sitting up here in the front with her fiance Camden and my grandbaby on her lap. And uh, Molly will tell you, if you talk to her, we lived in Haiti, we weren't scared. God did mighty things. Hey, buddy, I see you down there. He's talking to me. I see you, Bubba. Um, God did mighty things in Haiti. Even though we saw the, the, the spiritual warfare, we never feared. Like, like, like not in an arrogant way, like I'm just not going to be scared. No, we had the fear of the Lord in us and like God protected, right? He's like, I'm sending you. I'm going to go before you. I'm going to take care of you. Like, don't worry about it. Everything will be fine. And we saw things that should have terrified us. And we're like, wow, look how God did that. You know, it's like miracles. Like, wow, look what God did there. Like, I, I saw this woman with, with this wound on her leg down here. And it was, did you say gangrenous, gangrene? I probably said that wrong for you doctors in the house. But it, it was really bad, really bad. And we were out in what we would call the bush, like far from civilization. We're out. There's no electricity. Um, there's no water faucets. Like, it's, it's rivers and um, dirt, and these people have an entire community there, and we went out there, and we saw this woman should have lost her leg, like she's gonna die from this wound, and my wife gets down and puts her hand on it and prays for this gal, prays for this wound in Haiti, and, and just ask God to heal it, to touch it, to, to heal that in the dirt. There's no medicine where we were at. There's no doctor clinic. There's, there's no There's no hope for this lady. She has a wound that smells, and it's probably going to take her leg and her life. Amanda prays for her. We come back like a week later. The lady's totally healed, restored. The wound is clean. It's like there's just a little scar there. And and it was a a big wound, like softball size. God did that, and we're like, wow, look how the Lord moved, you know? Like even in the heart of demonic worship, God is at work. God is doing things. We come to Texas, and we start this Nazarene Compassionate Ministry Center, and we start fighting injustice on U.S. soil, right? And we're going to court cases, and we're going on undercover ops, and we're doing these, these crazy cool things with federal agents every day and working with law enforcement. Last, last uh, Saturday, Amanda was on a panel with, with the chief of police of Arlington and, and two others. She was on this, this panel where you can come and learn more about what Arlington's doing. Like, it, God's doing cool stuff here. We planted a church in COVID. Like, that's nuts. But that happened. And 
We're doing these things. And let me tell you, the spiritual warfare on us here feels 10 times hotter than Haiti to us. Like, like you, you want to feel the flames. Start fighting injustice. St- start grabbing the things that God cares about that the enemy is doing all he can to sink his claws into and terrorize and destroy and rip apart. Go help those people. Go grab them and pull them on your little lifeboat and say, I don't know how we're going to get through this storm, but I'm going to keep rowing until we make it to shore. Just start doing that and watch, watch the warfare go. Like, <laughs> that's what happens. Yeah, it happens. But guys, I'm here to tell you, God is with us through it all. He's protecting us through it all. But the only way we will ever make it is with the help of the Holy Spirit in us and on us and around us. That's it. And Jesus in this Matthew 12 talked talked about we can't just clean up our lives. We can't just sweep out some rooms and put some Febreze on the couch and plug in a wall plug plug from Bath and Body. Like we got to do more than that in our hearts and in our lives. We've We've got to say, God, I've, I've swept some things up. Some of you ladies are nodding like, I like wall plugs. We do too. Listen, but spiritually seeking, God is saying there's got to be more, man. You can't just stop there. You've got to do more than just sweep it clean. We empty ourselves and we sweep ourselves clean and we say, God, I need you to clean up some of this junk because... You know, this part of my life looks like a gutter and this part looks like the garbage dunk and these things that I say I know are like so displeasing to everyone around me or whatever. And we clean that up and God helps us with that. But then we've got to say, Lord, I need your empowerment in me. Like I need your Holy Spirit to come and dwell and live and help me because otherwise my little dinghy is gonna sink. I'm not gonna make it. I'll never survive this. The next wave might fill my boat and sink me. You know, like I, I use a lot of boat imagery. That's how I envision it. That's how I, I feel with the Lord. He, he's, he's like my lifeboat. It's like I'm in the, the, picture yourself in the middle of the Gulf or the Atlantic. Like there, you can't see land and you're like, I don't even know which way to go, but God, I'm trusting you. I, I know you're gonna take me to shore. I, I know you're with me. I know the, the, the waves won't sink me. I think this passage is powerful because Jesus is literally saying, Nineveh did it. They repented. They allowed God to come in and he spared them. But then another generation, one or two later, came up and didn't. They, they tried to look good on the outside, but as Nahum described them, they were horrible people. And they died separated eternally from God. But for us, we don't have to be there. We can have cleaned up hearts, swept out rooms, and still have some junk in there that God's working on, right? I've not arrived. I'll never arrive. Till I'm dying with him, with him, none of us will arrive. But we're on a journey. And if we try to journey this thing without the help of the presence of God, through the, through the Holy Spirit in us and on us, we are doomed. We will sink. A generation later, we'll look like Nineveh the second time, right?
So this morning, I, um, as we close here, we're going to close right now. We, I, just, I just ask each one of us to uh, search our heart this morning. What are, what are some of those places? What are some of those rooms of your heart that you've not given God access to? Or you're like, you know, it smells good in there. It, it smells pretty nice in that room. Like it, there's no Holy Spirit in there, but doesn't look like the tavern or doesn't look like, you know, someplace I wouldn't want to take my mom. So, I mean, I think it's probably okay. And then, you know, some other rooms are like, you know, this one smells a little bit, but doesn't smell like my neighbor's house. So, I mean, you know what? I'm doing good, right? What are, just open your heart and what are some areas that you need the Lord to come in? Mine, I shared at the beginning. I need God to help me want every person to have the salvation that I have. Because that's a challenge for me. Just being honest. When I've seen the effects on 15 and 16 year old girls of what a wicked, evil, horrendous person has done and those, those lives are affected for the rest of their life. Yeah, they'll find healing and restoration, but things have changed. I struggle with, I struggle with that. I struggle with wanting to share the same hope that I don't deserve with other people that don't deserve it either. For a pastor, that's probably really wrong, but that's where I'm at in this fight. place where you're like, you know, I've been trying to do that one by myself, but I'm tired, I'm weary, I'm weak, and I need some help. I need some empowerment. I need some authority. I need some victory. I need to be more than a conqueror, right? Think of those areas, and then as we sing, invite the Lord into that area. Just invite him in. That's all he's asking. He's not going to bombard his way in. He's not going to knock down your doors. But if you just crack the door and say, Lord, I struggle in this spot. Will you come in? Will you help me? He's faithful. This book is a book of promises. He says it, and he'll do it every time. Amen. God, we love you so much. We thank you, Father. I thank you for LCF, this beautiful church, this beautiful people. God, you're doing mighty things here. You're doing mighty things through Pastor Cal and Teresa and their ministry. Through Bruno and the team, God. And Michael and Amanda, Lord, you're mighty things through each one of them, Jesus. I thank you for them, God. I thank you for the outreach. I thank you for the school. I thank you for the sports teams that meet on the field, God. I thank you for the trunk and trees. It's all the, all the different ways where you're opening these doors to people to come in and find the hope of salvation. The hope, the, the hope of living glory that only you can provide, God. Father, right now in this moment, would you, would you help us to identify those areas of our hearts that we've not opened up to you? Would you would you help us to open those areas and allow you in? And then, Father, would you come in and, like Jesus said, do more than clean. We can't clean on our own. We can't vacuum ourselves ready for heaven, God. We, we need the empowerment. We need the dwelling, the indwelling 
covering, the leading, the voice of the Holy Spirit in us and on us. I need it. I need it right now more than ever. I, I confess that. I need that more than ever right now, this moment. God, would you do that in us today? And we open our hearts to you and would you just come in with a flood of glory and fill us today. In Jesus' name.